Welcome to another edition of the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me, as always, Martin Theobald. Hello. You impressed? That's first take. That's first take, yeah. For those that uh, listen regularly, I can assure you it's never the first take. <laughs> Ever. First take, straight on the blocks, because that is how slick I am. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, we're just going to crack on with the news from the week, some reviews over what's happened, and some previews of some big fights, including, um, but not completely isolated to, Vladimir Klitschko, Tyson Fury. Are you looking forward to that preview? Yeah, yeah, no, I um, I yeah, I don't know, I've run through it in my head already, so nothing for me to look forward to, right, but... You, uh, you- you can call these out. You can call the outcomes of fights, pretty much, can't yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, I've got many wrong so far. So uh, <laughs> if anyone's taking betting tips, you know, don't take them from me. Go straight ever. to mine. If you if you're in some sort of Brewster's Millions scenario, just take your, all, all your advice on board. Yeah, if you fucking hate money, like go and take my. <laughs> I think I always go with my heart, not my head. Right. <laughs> so I need mate, I need a little strategy change. If your mate owns a bookies, and you're trying to launder <clears> great deals of money. Just use your yeah, tips. Yeah, like if you need to hide it from the tax man, <laughs> come on over. Come on over, talk to me. Um, come at me. Right, so we've got a few things to talk about, um, we, like, including the David Hay announcement, which didn't he have a press conference today? He did this morning, yep. But um, we, I want to start with something that you've specifically outlined, which was the, <laughs> um, the irritation, because I know how, how much everyone loves a, a, a Martin rant on this podcast so we'll go with the stub hub ticketing which i can't for one second imagine that you've put a note down what a great job they've done what a great job (laughs) (laughs) what a fantastic job they've done next (laughs) Uh, okay so explain to me why stub hub um are not this shining light of um, ethical ticketing sales. Right, okay. So, as you probably would be aware, there was uh, the announcement a couple of weeks back of Frampton versus Quig to happen in February of next year. So, tickets went on sale Friday of last week. Um, big deal made out of it by Eddie Hearn and Matchroom and everybody involved and Cyclone Promotions, which Barry McGuigan's lot. So, tickets were to go on sale on the website Eventim at 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday. So, for anyone that tried to get on there, it was a standard thing when there's a limited amount of tickets, there's 16,000 tickets for it. It's high demand, and so you know it's very difficult when you try and get these things to get on and get a ticket. So they sold out um, by, I think it was about 9.06. So like six minutes in, they sold 16,000 tickets. Which, well done, congratulations, you've got an event people want to go to, which is great. But there were two issues. One was that there were stories, I don't know how true it is or not, uh, that some people were able to buy tickets before 9 o'clock in the morning, which when they're meant to be released. But the more concerning aspect of it is that the within like 10 minutes of them being sold out on Eventim, which is the sales website, they were then available on the secondary market on StubHub, which is another uh, website that sells tickets, at six times the face value. 
So if you're paying um, 60 quid for a ticket, which is quite feasible, uh, it's 360-odd quid that you could buy them for off the secondary market. Now, I'm isolating StubHub it. I'm sure there are other places. I'm sure if you went on eBay, you Absolutely. could probably get them, uh, yeah. you know, same value. It's going to be the same Most cost. Definitely. The reason for highlighting StubHub on it is that <laughs> Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, they are Matchroom's official ticket distributors. And so they are aligning themselves um, consciously with StubHub. So you've got fans that can't get hold of tickets at 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday. They're trying, they're trying. People that genuinely want to get to the fight. And they can't get hold of them. And then the only way they can get hold of them is to pay six times more mm. off of Matchroom's official um, ticket distributing partner. Is this, not, is this secondary market... Um... Is it not designed for fans who've bought it and then want to reset it? Yeah, like you can't make it or whatever on the day. So, <laughs> But not seven minutes after you yeah, bought yeah. it. Oh, shit, I've bought that ticket. I can't make it. I better sell it for £360. Oh, no one's going to no buy this. Well, I don't know. I think another 10,000 people might have made that exact same error in the last 10 <laughs> yeah, seconds. Yeah, so it, by aligning themselves. So StubHub works in two ways. So they work with um, one of the quite high profile cases like Anthony Joshua so boxers get tickets so they might get 250 tickets or whatever to their own events and then they have to go and sell them on so someone like Anthony Joshua or whatever gets his 250 tickets and he puts them on StubHub so that's what I mean by their official ticketing uh, partner so their fighters are able to sell them and they sell them at face value so they're not sending them on at six times the retail price they're sending them on at face value and it says there's two different marketplaces there's the face value ones and then there's the resale ones so the issue here is around the resale ones where people as you say like oh no I can't make it anymore I'm going to go and flog it on for a huge amount don't get me wrong I know this happens in the way it's not just boxing it happens in football it happens in music it happens in all these things where there's high demand for an event what pisses me off and frankly like go and read twitter about it and find uh the various issues is not me by any means it's lots and lots of people it could, it could be people that already listen have already been stung by it or already yeah, yeah. um you know <laughs> matchroom aligned themselves with these people so they're and like <laughs> whether or not they're getting a kickback from this you can't say one way or another Chances are, if I was a betting man, I'd probably be wrong because all my <laughs> predictions are wrong. Um, but it looks a little bit dodgy when they're partnered mm. with Matchroom and then they go off. And I'm not saying Matchroom are feeding them tickets. I'd be surprised if that was the case. Matchroom don't give a shit. They sell out sixteen thousand tickets at whatever price each. They make the money. Well, some, something's the, something's gone wrong either with the, some sort of sales policy of selling all of their tickets to one particular outlet you know like yeah. whatever it is something's gone wrong for them to all appear so quickly in this scenario like Matrium is saying they haven't given any tickets to StubHub they've not given one it's all the fans that have bought them off of Eventim then go and sell them themselves directly which on... uh, again could be could, could be opportunistic fans right is opportunistic fans right, it's right, not so you don't think Right, so you don't. So you're you're assuming that it's and not fans either. It's not. It's people that are in it for the money. Right. People yeah. that know there's high demand for an event will buy the tickets and sell them on the secondary market immediately. So, I mean, like you said, it happens in all all kinds of aspects, all kinds of things. You get it with like, especially like festivals and stuff like that. They come for stupid money. So, is there a way around it? 
Um, I know there's been government consultation about it. I don't know the details of it particularly, but that's on a broader aspect. It's not just about boxing. It's around ticket touting, which it is. This is ticket touting. It's, because, uh, it's ulti- fucking legalised ticket touting. Yeah, well, ultimately, if you're a if you're a hardcore boxing fan, all right, let's put those people to the side because they're going to go. But if you're a sort of, you know, come what may sort of boxing fan and you buy a ticket, you think, oh, yeah, I'm happy to go to that in three weeks' time. I've got three tickets for me and the lads. And... Then, as soon as you've bought it, you see them going for six times their value. You might think, "No, actually, do you know what? I'm not that committed to going." Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's cynical people ultimately that are doing it. It's not the yeah. person that goes and buys two tickets for him and his mate or whatever. It's the people that go on there, buy six tickets, and then flog them off immediately. What can you do about it? I don't know. I mean, a disalign themselves from StubHub because it makes them look absolutely corrupt. Like maybe they have nothing to do with it it's not their fault possibly but don't take money back from them as a sponsor as an official partner which is what they're doing because it makes you look really really dodgy Mm. Um, it just looks like uh, conflict of interest absolutely and then it opens a door for people to say well you're getting kickbacks out of these six times face value ones maybe they're not but don't leave yourselves open to it Like there must be other sponsorship deals out there that are available to the likes of Matchroom, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just it's an absolute joke. I I don't know if people. The thing is, if people don't buy it, they won't sell them. It won't, if people don't buy through, it seems to be that if somebody buys the sixty three sixty quid tickets, they go, nah, I can deal with not going to that. If somebody can't get tickets, then justifies to themselves paying a thousand. But the only the only the only problem you got then is that you start getting into the realms of making it for elite fans don't yeah, you yeah no absolutely you know same so I mean yeah the only other way you could think around it I suppose would be something like you're not allowed to resell them until a week before the event or something like that and then you yeah you know if well, Matchroom okay, yeah. put in place a policy whereby yes StubHub are official partners go and resell them via that but you can't resell them until a week before the event or you know like Glastonbury or whatever it was where you suddenly have to present ID you know, if you're mm, yeah. buying a ticket under your name, you have to present the ID to prove that you're that person. I realise that creates problems if you legitimately get a wedding organised for February next year and you can't go to it. But, you know, at that point, it's the exception and you could somehow find a way of dealing with that. It becomes yeah. a big pain for touts to hand over. Like, well, if I, you I would... bought six tickets in blocks and then you're suddenly changing them to six different names... Yeah, then I, I think that would raise. Concerns. I, I would, yeah, and on that, I would raise the argument that if you'd bought three or four tickets, um, and at say I don't know fifty, sixty quid each, like you say, it's yeah, it's a, it's a bummer if you have to lose two hundred quid. I get that, but if you want to go to an event and you're priced out of it, and it's going to cost you say a thousand pounds, who who are we looking to probably save most money? It's probably those people that that buy it, there's that can't resell it, that can't do it for whatever reason. They're going to be fewer than the people who are disappointed because yeah. they can't afford to go in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, so anyway, yeah, we're not here to yeah, discuss yeah. ticketing legislation, yeah. but uh, yeah, probably going a bit too long. But yeah, but. I mean, it's, it's the point that Matchroom are involved in it so heavily um, that they, you know, find another sponsor. It makes them look so bad, uh, and the amount of flack they get for it, I'm amazed. You know, they they continue to do it. Okay, so from dodgy touts to dodgy toes, David Hayes finally nice. M- <laughs> nice. David Hayes finally uh, had his replaced, repaired. <laughs> yeah, he's ready to go, and he and he wants to come out of retirement and uh, 
well, uh, we you spoke about this last week and said that it was likely to be coming. What was said in the uh, what was said at the press conference? Right. So last week we said about he'd had a Twitter beef with somebody I couldn't remember the name of. That person's name was Mark Demori, uh, and strangely enough, that's who he's fighting. Um, so it's been announced that it will be January the sixteenth at the O2. Um, so Mark Demori is not someone I was familiar with. I've looked him up, and I'm still not particularly familiar with him. Um, <laughs> according to BoxRec, which is the place to go and check out fighters' records and things, they rank fighters in their weight divisions by how good they are in the world and how good they are within their own country within those weight divisions. So Mark Demori is ranked the fifth best heavyweight in Australia. <laughs> 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 so Lucas Brown is number one. I'm aware of Lucas Brown. You know he's a good bloke. Yeah. I don't know those that sit in the three places outside of Lucas Brown above Martin Demori. So I'll give you a quick insight. And in. so he's got an okay record. He's got 30 wins, one loss, two draws, 26 knockouts out of that. Uh, I had a quick scout through the names on his right, record. Right, that's what I to ask you. Then. Yeah, I, I haven't got a clue. Like <laughs> not a, not even one of them do I vaguely recognise. They are shite. Um, Hamburglar, a yeah, scarecrow, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a drunken bum, <laughs> yeah, that's the best ones. Um, so I was reading up on him today. This is a guy who taught himself to box from watching YouTube videos. So yeah, should be a good one. Um, and this yeah. is this is going to come back again. This is who's designed. This is his comeback fight. Yeah. Wow. So his last, the last time he headlined uh, the O2 was when he fought Monty Barrett a few years. I haven't got the year. Uh, and looked it up but I remember the event because <laughs> the ticket sales were so bad for it they started selling them on like Groupon and two for one offers mm, so I'm hoping that happens this time around because that'd just be <laughs> hilarious uh, there's no TV announcement to it yet um, so it hasn't what's interesting is that Sky have got it as like part of their headline boxing news um, so I don't know there's obviously the longer term implications which is that they would try and get him in the ring with Anthony Joshua as we said um, but whether or not they'll show this one they haven't announced yet they haven't announced anybody to be showing it um, what I also found relatively cynical I guess is uh, that they announced or David Hayes sets this press conference for the Tuesday in the week lining up to Tyson Fury fighting for the world title it's almost as if he can't deal with another heavyweight in Britain getting the headlines and fighting for worlds. He has to kind of try and outshine them a little bit. So, yeah. Um, for anyone that you know is going to go and buy tickets for it, make sure you get a hotel that's got a cancellation policy <laughs> where you get your money back. Make sure you can well, get your tickets back. Yeah, because in you seriousness, you have said he's cancelled a few of his fights. Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, last three have all been cancelled. So, uh, yeah, if you are going to go, make sure you check the cancellation policy and that you can get your money back. When was the last time you'd have genuinely said uh, that David Hay had a fight that was worth watching, did you think? Cause, but, I mean, all right, I re- appreciate that um, at the beginning of a fight, when you don't know, like, for example, when he fought Klitschko, it was like, wow, he's fighting Klitschko. Yeah. But that, I, I didn't think that was much of a fight. Klitschko just no, no, it him, wasn't. Didn't he? Yeah. So what was the best fight? Is Are you going back to cruiserweight days? The, in hindsight or yeah, in, in build-up? Um, so what I'm kind of asking is, as he, when was the last time he actually had a heavyweight fight that was worth watching to get me to try and watch this one? Uh, heavyweight? Uh, no, no, I can't. McCormack at cruiserweight was his mm. probably his best performance. Macronelli at cruiserweight that he blew away in uh, like real, real short time. 
they're both like when he was at his dynamic best and um ever since then you know like the value of five you know he walked around a lumbering giant for 12 rounds so it wasn't exciting necessarily so in hindsight of any of his fights the Chisora one back in 2012 when he when he left the sport which you and I were both yeah. at that was alright he uh, you know he went in and beat him up um, he got rocked a little bit that was an alright fight but uh, yeah I mean at his best was you know a fair few years back before he's had all his shoulder injuries and went into the jungle for I'm a celeb and you know, kind of lost his way a little bit um, yeah, and okay then, and, and just finally with this, is if you, even if you treat it, if you try and take out the cynicism, why is he coming back? Money. Is it pure? It's purely money. There's think? nothing else in it. Because he must have made a hell of a lot from the Audie Harrison fight. Oh, he would have, but he's also like, if you believe the rumours, he's been uh, frittering it away with people outside of his wife. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, pieces come together. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So there are probably many reasons why. You know, why does anyone go on? I'm a celebrity. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's probably fairly safe to say that it's money related. Okay. So moving swiftly on, um, bring us up to date with uh, the Randy Caballero missing his weight saga. Yeah, so we previewed this fight last week um, on the podcast. So Lee Haskins of Bristol was meant to be fighting Randy Caballero uh, on the undercard of Cotto versus Canelo out in America. Biggest fight of his career, biggest payday. He was going to try and uh, try and unify the interim and the world uh, bantamweight titles. It was his big opportunity to shine. So he's got Randy Caballero, who's been out for over a year now um, after suffering an injury. <laughs> uh, they go to the weigh-in the day before the fight, and Randy Caballero for bantam weight, right? So you've got the weight limit of 118 pounds. Randy Caballero turned up to the weigh-in five pounds <laughs> over the weight limit. Yeah. Like turned up for it, and the, the, the stupid thing is, was he eating a pizza? It was accidental, uh, Joe. <laughs> but I don't know what a prick. So the night before, he scream amateurist. He posted he? a photo the night before on Twitter of him stood with a set of scales, and he was under, or he, I can't remember if it was under or very, very slightly over, which would be fine. Uh, the weight limit, and so to turn up the next day at five pounds over, either he's lying with this photo on the scale. Or he's gone down fucking one of these Vegas buffets or whatever. What did you do on purpose for any reason? No, he wouldn't have done it on purpose. It's uh, The only reason you would do it on purpose is if you wanted a slight weight advantage and you were happy to give up some of your purse or whatever and you could come to an agreement. But £5 over a £118 fight is stupid. Um, Like, really stupid. And unprofessional. Yeah. Well, that's is immediately what jumps to mind. Really. And it's dangerous as well. So there was talk when this kind of broke that you know maybe he could go away and get in the sauna with a sweatsuit on and do some skipping or whatever and try and drain himself down to to the proper weight. But uh, they didn't even I think try and uh, and reweigh him. So what the outcome of it is? I say poor old Lee Haskins. Lee Haskins, to my understanding, gets paid his full purse from the fight, plus gets given the world title, and he doesn't have to fight. So the fight never went ahead that night. Um, you know, it's a shame because it's the biggest platform that he could have asked for, and he gets robbed of it because his opponent's an unprofessional twat. Frankly. I don't work in pounds, but that's that is still like, that's two kilos overweight, right? Yeah. 
Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's serious, seriously unprofessional. Yeah. And like five pounds is a big amount. Let's say a super middleweight or whatever came in five pounds over. Yeah. When they should be weighing in at 168 pounds. Ratio of body weight. Ratio to body yeah. weight, exactly. Like percentage wise, it's three, four percent of mm. his body weight. He's over by. So like why <laughs> even bother turning up? <laughs> Just ring it in. Say, look, I'm a bit fat today, like let's call it off. Yeah, actually The embarrassment that, of turning up on the scale. What can you do to put that much weight on you you'd have to think that he was lying of or something. I don't know. So you've got to feel sorry for Lee Haskins, much you joke about he's gonna get the full payment, etc. etc. I'm sure he would rather have won that belt in the ring yeah, course, yeah. beating the bloke but it would have been a danger to go ahead with it you know it's doesn't a, doesn't now put him in the driving seat for choosing who he challenges then or he can, he can who challenges he, I mean he'll yeah, sorry yeah yeah he'll uh, he'll have mandatories so he's a full blown world title holder now but he doesn't get the headlines for it which is a real yeah. shame um, so yeah due to the unprofessionalism of Randy Caballero okay um Let's. Uh, I want to speak to you about something about Tyson Fury, but I think we'll move, we'll leave that for a bit later on, and we'll just jump into our reviews. Let's roll. Uh, right. So the Goodwin show that you sort of recommended to us and kind of briefly over went over uh, last week in a preview. What? Uh, give us a quick overview of what happened there. Okay. Um, yeah, I was there Saturday. York call. There were some really good fights. Um, yeah, it was headlined. I mean, the the best knockout of the night was actually a guy Sahal Ahmed, um, who knocked out Dwayne Grimes like horribly. Um, big right hand followed up by a left. I think the geezer was knocked out by the right hand, and then from where I was sat, I could see he was kind of ready to go back, and then he he was helped going back by Are they both homegrown fighters. Uh, I, I think I don't know where Sahal was from, if I'm honest. Um. Apologies, Hal, because you're my friend on Facebook, so I <laughs> probably don't know where you're from. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dwayne Grimes is local. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a cracking knockout. Really got him uh, first round as well, so it was like early doors. Um, yeah, so the headline act was uh, Sonny Upton, who was fighting a guy called Ryan Toms. Now, uh, that was in the light middleweight uh, category, and it was eliminated for the English title. So, both, there was Sonny and Paulie Upton. There's a third brother as well called Anton Upton or Anto Upton. Anthony, whatever you want to call him. The, uh, yeah, it was won by Sonny Upton on points fairly convincingly. Um, he's trained by Ricky Hatton, who was there for the night. It was, uh, yeah, what I found it a, a weird scenario, I suppose, watching both Upton brothers. They're both, um, I'd say both of them trained by Ricky Hatton. And they're both fighters whose style is um, defensive to work off the ropes or go off the back foot, and they're happy to back themselves into the ropes, cover up tightly, and uh, either work off the counter or accept a few, and then kind of spin it off and hit, take shots off them. And it works very well for both of them. Like they both displayed, you know, they were they were good at, at doing what they were doing. I just found it weird like, watching them both to think about Ricky Hatton's heyday and just tearing through welterweights and you know he was a vicious attacker front foot fighter so to think that he's training these two fighters it's just it's clear you know there's um, a different style to yeah, Hatton that, that we perhaps never saw in the ring hmm. and he's you know enforcing that upon his charges um, but massive well done to uh, both the Upton brothers and their support who come along in huge numbers down to York Hall 
they packed the place out they make a really good atmosphere down there they were they were great um, it's probably good actually that um, maybe he's shown a bit more nous because if you if you just run through exactly verbatim or more, almost of how he led his career if it was a do as I do sort of approach <laughs> they could have really ridiculous off seasons where yeah let's go out and smash us. <laughs> yeah. like literally start the day that I left and then it's quite training later yeah you see uh, like when they're fighting or you know just prior to when they're fighting the uh, the Upton clans they call themselves kind of pack out the rafters in New York Hall and then very shortly after they finish the bar becomes very very loud <laughs> And packed, and uh, yeah, there, there's a clear link to the Hatton era uh, going on with the support, which is great to see. Yeah, I guess it is really. I mean, it's characters that make sport, isn't it? So, yeah, and uh, he's definitely. Um, I mean, one of our friends is a massive Ricky Hatton fan, so you, you get some people that are really, uh, really well, just have their favourite fighters, and he's one of them. Um, okay, so let's move on then to what happened in uh, Manchester at the weekend. All right, so. On the undercard, you had Chris Jenkins versus Tyrone Nurse in their rematch. Now, these two have styles that seem to match really, really well. So when they say about like styles make fights, I don't think anyone can complain if there was a third fight for this. Because I guess in the um, relatively early on, fifth round, uh, Chris Jenkins knocked Tyrone Nurse down. Big punch. Uh, Nurse kind of got himself back together. Nurse a really slick fight. If he had any power in his hands... He would be a top, top fighter. But he doesn't. <laughs> and so he relies on getting through fights stylishly, awkwardly. Uh, think Mayweather, if you got him in Primark somewhat. Um, that's no offence whatsoever. He's got a very <laughs> slick... That's not disparaging in the least. No, because Mayweather, you know, he's an elite fighter. Like him or loathe him, he's an elite fighter. So a bad um, version of Mayweather <laughs> would still be good. Is that what Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, if you had a third hand Ferrari it's still a good Ferrari or whatever <laughs> so yeah Nurse he just doesn't have and uh, he doesn't have that killer instinct he doesn't have that power in his hands but he's very slick to watch and conversely Chris Jenkins has power in his hands isn't slick particularly he's a a bit of a brawler probably by his own admission I suspect as well so they match really well when they fight uh, in that you've got one who's trying to be all stylish and covering up and slicking his way out of things and you've got one who just wants to get in there and try and tear his hair off it's, uh, it, it was a good fight so yeah Tyrone Nurse won it on points ok let's give a holler to Million Dollar Crawler who, oh uh, man that was <laughs> sick <laughs> who, uh, oh. yeah he, um, he put in a good display I'm getting over your rapping skills sorry that was, <laughs> I, didn't have, uh, I don't have any more um, right, yeah, no, he did put in a good display. Um, Dani's Perez it didn't show up really. Um, you could argue he didn't massively show up for the first fight, and then there was the the thought that he's going to be better in this one. He's going to push Crawler harder. He didn't push Crawler at all. He was dog shit, and like <laughs> Crawler just smashed him. Didn't look like the biggest body shot in the world, but the body shots can be very, very painful. So. Uh, you can't discount the. There that. was a spate, wasn't there? About, going back about probably a month ago, there was a there was t- there was a few fights that were ended on yeah. busters, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so yeah, he he connected with a beautiful body shot, and you see um, Dali's Perez down on the floor, and yeah, when you see a fighter go down, you kind of straight away assume kind of they're going to get up, unless it's a big head knockout and they're not yeah. moving. 
Uh, and so he, he goes down onto his knees and kind of, and then maybe a second into the count, he just shakes his head like, nah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> the ref carries on counting. He's not in any danger or whatever. Um, and yeah, 10 count, Anthony Crawler uh, picks up the belt. So it's the WBA lightweight title. Um, what's interesting for the December 12th card, Kevin Mitchell, uh, who previously fought Jorge Linares for the WBC lightweight title, He's fighting in what's been deemed, but God knows if it's true or not, because it's Eddie Hearn, um, uh, WBA lightweight title eliminator. So in theory, if he comes through that fight, um, he could end up fighting Anthony Crawler for his title next year, which would be a really, really good fight. Um, it's just being somewhat massaged by Eddie Hearn to get there. So I have a question. Um, we were speaking uh, a little earlier about English titles and you've got the words and we speak a lot about it we have spoken a lot about it the question I would have is do you always as a fighter do you always win money when you win a title like no you don't, you don't money isn't associated to the title right so if you win a title you don't then get prize money from the governing body or anything no the opposite you pay them <laughs> um, yeah you don't get paid anything for holding the title you end up paying out the idea is that you then make your money off of holding the title. So, as the title holder, mm -hmm. for instance, if a fight goes to purse bids, you get 75% of the money out of that purse bid. Um, you know, as a title holder, I suppose think back to Kel Brook. He was never sold massively uh, within Sky, and he was building up his resume. And then when he got to the top level and beat Sean Porter, he suddenly becomes a pay-per-view fighter. In theory, it's never actually happened yet because he got injured. But uh, he headlines shows he's suddenly the main attraction. So, like holding that title means that he's top of the bill. He's you know going to start making the money that he wasn't making lower down. So holding the title means you end up paying the governing body or the promotional body, whatever it is. But uh, you make your money through you know a higher profile. It's kind of a, just almost like um, a, a medium in which. To focus fans' attention. Yeah, yeah. and that's why the likes of the WBA get so heavily criticised, is because they focus their fans' attention on 50 different belts. <laughs> yeah, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and so like there ought to be one world title holder of which you focus your attention, but yeah. instead it gets diluted by having you know three different title holders in a weight division. Okay, yeah, it's, uh, that's a good point. Um, how did let's move over to Germany and how did Martin Murray do against Arthur Abraham he did what he does every time he gets a world title fight he fought like a loser <clears throat> I mean that in the nicest possible way <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure any of these nice possible ways you're saying I didn't see this fight I, I've caught up with it since right, um, okay. so I was reading I was actually sat um, ringside at York Hall uh, with a, another reporter, Brooke Stretfield, and we sat reading through Twitter, uh, catching up on the fight. And there were various conflicting reports about how he was getting on. So some people had him like, you know, six rounds to two up after eight, and some people had it slightly closer. Uh, having reviewed the fight myself, I just think he didn't go out there to make his mark and fundamentally say, you know, I've won this fight. Uh, so he got a late points deduction. He lost it by split decision, so it was very, very close. But I get the... like This is his fourth world title fight. Granted, one of them is against Golovkin, so you're probably not going to win that. But in each of the other two attempts, plus this one, he's, yes, put up a really, really good effort. Yes, you could make the argument that he's won it. But he wasn't busy enough. He wasn't... 
you know, looking to go out on his shield. Like Fury talks about it. We'll see if it happens or not this weekend. But Fury talks about going out on his shield. So like, if you're going over to Germany, you're fighting a champion in their home country, yeah. you've got to really put it on the line. And that's not what Martin Murray did. Martin Murray put in a reasonable performance. He so didn't put it on the line. Could this be like uh, maybe? Um, he couldn't really make his mind up how he was going to approach it. Maybe too much confusion over tactics that he's been fed. Like, is it was it is that his natural fight, or is it just like you said? Is it just indicative of when he's in title fight? It's a good question. I mean, as we said last week, he hasn't been tested at super middleweight, so there's a difference between fighting a middleweight and super middleweight. That you're fighting bigger blokes who can punch harder, etc., etc. So nobody knows if he can take a punch off of a full-grown, decent super middleweight. And so can he commit to attacking Arthur Abraham right. throughout those 12 rounds? Probably not, because he doesn't know. Uh, you know, sparring's one thing, but fighting's another. He's not been in the ring properly with a fully grown, decent super middleweight until that night. So, like, how do you build a tactic around not knowing if your fighter can or can't take that punishment in the ring? It just to me that was the biggest oversight is not putting him in previous to that to test him and make sure that he because if you knew he could take a decent punch off somebody then come round nine you would say to him surely go out there and now like Stop let your hands go yeah. like really let him go and take one if you need one but you presumably can't do that because you don't know if he can take. Oh, one. so then the question begs itself like why is he at super middleweight? What I mean, what advantage for him other than? not cutting down anymore like. he was a big middleweight a big middleweight so he was struggling to make the weight um, yeah I mean he always made it and I suppose you could say he could have hung around there but hang around for what you've got Alvarez now Canelo um, or you've got Golovkin right so there's more a case of bigger <coughs> fights that beckoned yeah there's bigger weight. fights and possibly you know Arthur Abraham's an easier fight than Golovkin no doubt about <laughs> yeah. it and so, like, if it was me and I was given the choice of you can eat a little bit more in the build-up to a fight and fight somebody like Arthur Abraham or you can really strip yourself down and go and get beaten up by Ganovkin, I think I know which one I'd have picked. Hmm. Um, and then go out and whimper. Yeah, <laughs> it is, that's it. It's a little bit of a whimper that yeah. you just... There was a part of me watching it back that things I would love to have just seen him have a go. Just, well, but it happens with so many fighters, doesn't it? Like, you, you just... You wonder, like... I I realise that this is a very extreme scenario, but like with Mayweather, with um with Pacquiao, you, you felt like and I realise it's because Mayweather was controlling the fight, but you still felt like Pacquiao didn't give enough because he was too scared of what might come from Mayweather. And also when and, and on a different level here, but um Audi Harrison fought David Hay, you're like, why why? What goes through your head to just yeah. back off, back <clears throat> off, back off, and and just go? Oh, I hope full time comes so that I can yeah. get back to the no, room. No, it's true, and it's so. Uh, it is annoying watching it. Do you think you've worked your way to that position, or in Martin Murray's case, you haven't worked your way into that position, <laughs> and then you don't fully commit to it? So we'll come yeah. on to it later with Tyson Fury, Pretty but he's the one who gives it all the rhetoric around. I'm going out on my shield. You know, if I lose, I'm getting knocked out. I'm not walking out of there. Um, and that's what Martin Murray didn't have. He didn't have to me like he didn't have that give it everything attitude yeah. it was like give it quite a lot and see what happens 
Um, which yeah, hard it, to relate to, I suppose. For most for most people who envisage themselves in the ring, I suppose would think, well, if I ever did get into a boxing ring, I'd give it everything. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong; it's not me getting punched in the face of Arthur Abraham. No, exactly. So I'm quite comfortable saying that. Yeah. But you maybe also not chose to be a boxer. Yeah. Maybe by that point, he realised that he could get hurt or whatever, and yeah. he hadn't felt the full power yet. So I don't know. But again, that comes down to if you shove him in with a decent super middleweight prior to putting him into a world title fight you would surely have given him a better opportunity to condition himself and know what he can and can't do. Yeah. Okay, let's move on um, to uh, the Canelo-Cotto fight. Yeah, so it was uh, you know, a huge fight. It captured a lot of imagination. Once you strip all the WBC stuff out of it that went on beforehand, it didn't really catch fire. It wasn't a full-blown war uh, like some were expecting. Um, I suppose it probably... Yeah, if you were going to be told it was going to go to points, it probably happened exactly like you'd imagine it would go to points. So, Cotto started quite well. Um, he probably, out of the first six rounds, maybe picked up two. You can make an argument for three. And then towards the back end of the fight, it was quite clear that Canelo was just too big, like too strong, too young, too quick. Um, Cotto looked a 35-year-old in there. Canelo looked a 25-year-old in there. Um it was probably as simple as that that you know you've got one man who's naturally a lot bigger and is younger fighting one man who's a lot smaller and older it kind of worked that way really it they interviewed Canelo afterwards in the ring and asked him uh, will you fight Golovkin and he said yeah you know I'll fight him straight away um so there'll be all the bollocks around catch weights and what have you which you'd have to put up with but to be fair to Canelo, he has fought everybody that's been put in front of him. So, you know, he's had a go at Floyd Mayweather. He's taken fights he never had to take. He took Austin Trout, which is a, a, a difficult fight. He took uh, Erislandi Lara, which is an awkward fight. A really awkward fight that he didn't have to take. So he's taking these like fights that other people don't want. He's taken Cotto now, and he's taken that belt of him for the middleweight title. So hopefully we'll get to see him fight Glovkin. And that should be a decent fight. You'd have thought, yeah, that would be, yeah, that, that's more evenly matched. I say more evenly matched, Glovkin may well end up just smashing through him, but it would be a good fight. Okay, it's the one we've all been waiting for. Woo! <laughs> the big one, uh, Woo! Rick Flair. No, 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 oh. no, 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 well, for those that you do remember, Tyson Fury turned up at the press conference in a Batman outfit, shortly followed by Klitschko saying, and this is only an assumption, by the way, I'm injured, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you like that? How'd you like them potatoes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then Vladimir Klitschko, uh, sort of, we suspected at the time, maybe dragging out the training thing to sort of put a chink in maybe Tyson Fury's armour, you know, using his experience to to disrupt his training schedule and, and what have you. So, here it comes. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, right, so I'm in two minds here. So, as I said before, I've got an affinity towards Tyson Fury. Like, when my wife first met my parents, like the first time round, um, yeah, it was like it was when Fury fought Chisora the first time round, and like there's lots of th- I love Tyson Fury. Like, yes, he comes out with some inane stuff. Yes, he comes out with some mad stuff, but actually, he's a character. He brings attention to it. Um, fighting wise, 
I don't think anyone nobody knows how good Tyson Fury is or isn't um, and yet people always point out that he's been knocked down twice in his career he got knocked down by Steve Cunningham who's a, a cruiserweight who stepped up you know ate his way into being a heavyweight uh, so what happens when he, he meets a full blown you know massive world class heavyweight like Klitschko nobody knows the answer to that like yes he got knocked down by Steve Cunningham but he got up brushed himself down and carried on yeah. you can get knocked down by a bloke yeah. who's a weight below you lucky punch yeah like okay maybe his uh, technique wasn't the greatest that led to that lucky punch that's fine he still he got up, up he's a fucking gypsy warrior by his <laughs> own admission right he ain't going to be happy going back to his uh, his folk if he goes out with a little bit of a whimper, if he goes out David Hayes style. So, <laughs> I think you're going to see a war. I think you're going to see fucking blood and guts. So, um, so the last fight, uh, Tyson Fury, what was the last fight you had? The last one I remember is the Chisora one. But there was one before... I there was uh, Christian Hammer that he fought after Chisora. So, when I watched him versus Chisora, he just... It was it was the jab that killed Jizora, wasn't it? He fought Southpaw. He did a bit of both. He was oh, switch hitting. Right, and um, he just jabbed him until he tore his eye apart. And then we had to. It was the eighth round, wasn't it? That they, yeah, they I think so. Eighth, ninth, and that. Um, what was the Hammer fight like? Very much the same. And Christian Hammer was a bigger person than Jizora. He was like a Tesco value Klitschko. Right, he didn't have the same skill set, but he looked a lot like him. Um, and so. And, and so Fury dispatched him by again jab 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 and trying working to... off the back foot he's he's changed his style so much over the last two years or so um, probably since the Steve Cunningham fight his dad's come out of prison John Fury um, who's an influence upon him so it's almost as if don't get me wrong the chaos outside of the ring continues yeah. and will always continue but it's like there's a calmness that's shifted upon the ring and so there's no more of the wildness that you'd have seen of him as a youngster. It's a very controlled, Klitschko-esque style that is happy to work off the back foot, use those big long arms and just jab, jab, jab. There's not huge power there, I don't think. Um, you know, you don't see him performing one-punch knockouts on people, particularly. But there's uh, sustained power over a period of time, over a period of jabs, over a period of overhands and things. I think you're going to end up seeing two people that rely upon their size. Um, I think you. When I said earlier about it being a bit of a war, I think you. I wouldn't be surprised seeing both get knocked down at some point in the fight. I think. Okay, well, let's look at it from a, a slightly different angle because the 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 sort of natural thing I would have thought to do is sort of how is to look at it, and certainly how I've tend to look at it is how is Fury going to get past Klitschko? So you're sort of thinking, well. Fury's got the three reach advantage, but then, uh, and you've got you've just been talking about the star and everything. How flipping on his head? How would Klitschko be thinking about dealing with Fury? Um, that's a good question. Really. I I don't think Klitschko necessarily needs to change his. I don't think he can change his style or his game plan. He's always going to fight like he does in the previous fight and the previous fight before that. Um. He got hurt by Brian Jennings in a recent fight. Like first round, got rocked a bit. His knees went, and he kind of buckled a little bit. All he did at that point was then just clung on and you know revitalized himself, got the power bar back up, however you want to put it, and was back in a position to carry on fighting in the Klitschko way. 
And from that, he then went on and like pulverized him. I don't think you're going to see, just because Fury's bigger, you're not going to see Klitschko suddenly develop this great head movement and like, you know, fancy footwork. He's still going to be robotic. He's still going to. Uh, it'll be. When he fights bigger people, so he fought um, Kubrat Pulev, was one of his recent fights, who's a big old unit. He actually fights more aggressively than when he fights smaller people. So, if anything, you'd likely to see him take the front foot a little bit more and actually come in and step into his shots a little bit and perhaps throw his hands a little bit more than you would otherwise, which is what he tends to do against bigger fighters like Sapulev. Uh, Am I right in thinking he hasn't fought anyone with the dimensions of Fury? Yeah, no, he's never fought anyone bigger than himself. Right, Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, it's an interesting you know statistic and possible impact on the fight so could it a, a question sort of raised in my mind you said that it could they both both could get knocked down there's potential mm. on that let's assume that, that is definitely possible um definitely possible yeah all right and assuming as well <laughs> i really sorry. assume it's definitely possible i should definitely cut that out but i won't i'll happily i'll happily expose my lack of uh, articulation there um <laughs> Right, so yeah. So one, we're assuming it's definitely possible. Right, so yeah. Let's say, is it going to be a case of the first knockdown might be crucial? And I, and I say that, like, for example, if if Klitschko was to knock Fury down, do you think that could strip him of confidence, change the way he was fighting, change his style? Do you think it, you know? No, I think. Or could it rare him up? I think it would rare him. him up. I think if anything... It depends how bad, you know, if he knocked him spark out, then he ain't going to be getting reared up until he's back in the changing room. But if he just knocked him down... And, like, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be entirely surprised that... It doesn't have to be a massive punch, I don't think, from Klitschko to put Fury down. I just think that he, you know, perhaps doesn't always display the greatest amount of balance and the ability to um, hold himself when he's when he's hit. So... I think he could go down under less powerful shots, I suppose, what I'm getting at. Whereas, um, which to that end means that he could likely then get up and be fueled by it. Whereas I think if Klitschko goes down, you know, he's very resolute, he's very robust. If he goes down, it's probably because he's been quite badly hurt by something. Or, you know, over a period of time has taken punishment to the body, punishment to the face, etc. So can I then deduce from that that you would, you, um, you think that um, Klitschko's got a harder chin than Fury. No. Right, okay, I'm, I'm not sure <clears> that then. No, I mean, because this one, I suppose you don't know how good Fury's chin is. Right. I suppose you could say Klitschko's been knocked out, Fury hasn't. Therefore, you could say on that basis, Fury has the better chin and could sustain, you know, more attacks. But that's a stupid argument, really, because actually Klitschko's been in with better fighters than Fury. Mm. Um, you know, the levels are different. So you don't know what. Fury's chin is like. As I say, he comes from this travelling background. They're not renowned as people that give up pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're tough. Lilies. Yeah, they're tough motherfuckers, right? So, <laughs> uh, what's who's, it going to take? Okay, so who's the harder hitter? Is it? I think Klitschko yeah. would would. I mean, if you broke it down analytically, if you said like, who's the younger? You know, Fury. Does that matter? Does that mean he's healthier? Probably not. Klitschko's probably, you know, the better athlete out of the two, if you look at them physically. Um, probably by Tyson Fury's own admission, if you Yeah, ask. yeah. You know, as he said about Anthony Joshua, you can't put muscles on chins. Like, 
he said my chin's my weapon you know you can't train that um, which is a very which good was point. something what Frotch used to use quite a lot, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he, would, he knew that he could take a take a pace yeah. in and still and still have a chance, uh, you know, fighter's chance. Yeah. So Fury's never really shown. Uh, this is my point. Fury's never shown his best. I don't think because he'd never had to. So he's going to have to Saturday night. And what his best is, who knows? We'll find out Saturday night. Um, I don't think you'll see him fight Southpaw all that much. I'd be surprised. I think that's probably something he would do against more limited opposition than Klitschko. But he might do because it it would confuse Klitschko. To have somebody bigger than him and fighting out of an awkward stance would confuse him a lot. And, you know, Fury's used it to good effect. I just suspect that's a bit of a red herring that he's almost laid out in advance in the fights in the build-up to put Klitschko off. So, you know, Klitschko would then have to prepare God, for two different fighters. It? it would be, but, you know, that's his pathway. That's his route that he's been taking for however long. Is it? He's known he's destined to meet Klitschko. If you know that, and if you know you're in with people that you can toy with and beat, why wouldn't you set a few traps, like, in advance? Well, if it, I mean, that's, that takes some sort of imagination. So if he did come out of the fight and say he'd done that, I'd believe him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't think he was just saying it, you know, retrospectively. Cause yeah. To, to, to even have the awareness that that would be something you'd do. Yeah, it may not be him. I suspect it would be Peter oh, Fury, his yeah, trainer, who yeah, would... Yeah, like with so, a master plan or something. You know, sort. it wouldn't wouldn't massively surprise me if that was the case. So, you know, does he lay a few traps for Klitschko? I don't know. So, analytically, if you broke it down by all the stats and whatever, you've got to go for a Klitschko win. Like, that's what I was saying earlier about picking with my heart and my head. Yeah. Like, with my head... Absolutely, Klitschko, there's no reason he's gone through everyone else over the last 10 years. No reason he can't go through Fury. With my heart, I just think Klitschko's ageing. He hasn't looked fantastic in his last few fights. And Fury's looked um, more robotic, more Klitschko-like. And I just think he's he's willing to put it all out there Saturday night. And you just hope that the, 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 the balance may have just... T- I mean, for me, definitely, I'm in the same kind of boat as you in that respect. I can't... Uh, I can't see um, enough to be out there. Like, say, if I was a better man, if I was going to put a mortgage on it, you'd have to go... Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's what I feel like. But but I'm not as much of a fan of Tyson Fury as you, as you are. <coughs> but there's no denying that, you know... It doesn't matter what sport you look at. If one team, one person dominates it for long enough, it's just interesting if something else comes along. And I think if Fury did beat him, it would shake the sport up. And it would actually, you know, it would give us certainly an excitement from a domestic heavyweight perspective. And it would, I just think it would open a lot more. It would would make it a lot more interesting than, oh, look, Klitschko beats somebody else. And then another heavyweight that's got to try and pick up his career. Not that, obviously, we discussed before, it would be ruined. It's just that, it kind of makes it more. It shakes it up and makes it more exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm as I say, I'm in two minds about it. My heart is all behind Fury, and it just feels like the right time to get hold of Klitschko. And so I'm going with a Fury knockout, late knockout. Fury late knockout. So on that basis, go for a Klitschko points win <laughs> if you're putting any money on it. <laughs> um, and yeah, because obviously, um, just to sort of pay devil's advocate it's not normally you know I wouldn't necessarily um, uh, give a prediction on fights but Come on. I'm going to go for a, a Klitschko points win yeah and I, I don't I don't want that to happen by any measure but I, frankly that I can only see those two happening one of those two happening I mean I, I'm not I'm not convinced that Fury would knock Klitschko out but 
you'd, you'd hope that would be the case if that was going to happen, you know. Yeah, and I think... Who's going to win, rather? What, as long as, you know, if Fury loses, that's fine. There's no disrespect in losing to Klitschko. I hope he doesn't lose in the manner of Martin Murray from last weekend, where <laughs> you just... You end up leaving thinking, look, you could have put your balls on the line there. You could have, you know, if you know you're not... Or if you know it's close going into the 10th, start. Would you say, though, that fighters that tend to go out on a whimper, generally you can kind of see it in their character beforehand? And it's not... Re- Is it true to say that rarely does a fighter that you think that's going to go full guns goes out of a whimper? David Hay. And you, oh, okay. David right. Hay. When I have a whimper, and he gave it all the rhetoric beforehand about I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And he had the that. pedigree behind him as well. And he had the pedigree behind him and he, you know, bottled it, frankly. So, um, yeah, there are examples of, of fighters that give it all that beforehand. So I, I just hope that yeah, come okay. Sunday morning, Tyson Fury isn't in that boat. I think, if anything, if any stage in that fight he thinks to himself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up here. To be compared to David Hayne anyway would wear him on so much. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, yeah, any fear of that mocking and, uh, as you say, comparison would, uh, you know, act to the second wind. Okay, well, I guess we should move on finally to the James DeGale uh, Butte fight. What's uh, let's quickly preview that. Okay, and, uh, right, so these people to get on with is... the day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this has gone completely under the radar because of. Um, you know, Sky's investment in this Fury fight. So the Fury fight is on pay-per-view on Saturday night. Butte versus uh, DeGale is on standard Sky, I believe. So, I mean, you're paying essentially for Fury. There's no undercard to it necessarily. It's it's an odd one, really. Like, James DeGale picks up his title and he's fighting Luchin Butte, who got, as you know, Frotcher put it, he got Cobra'd. He got... <laughs> Smashed to pieces, and that's of going back. Put it in that way. <laughs> he got cobra <laughs> three years ago. Carl Froch dismantled Lucha Butte in Nottingham. In those three years since, <clears throat> right, and this is another you know, classic boxing politics example for you. So that's three years ago. In those three years, he's fought three times Lucha Butte. He's won two, and he's lost one, <laughs> and at least one. It might be two. I'm not, I didn't really look it up because I don't care. Um, at least one of those fights I know was at light heavyweight so it wasn't even at super middleweight and so in three years you have three fights you lose one of them in a weight category that's not yours and now you're challenging for a world title out in Canada against James DeGale who's going over there so he's going to be getting paid a fair amount for it it hasn't captured the imagination now whether that's because it's James DeGale and he's not particularly likeable whether it's because he's out in Canada whether it's because Sky on the same night have you know invested everything into this Tyson Fury matchup because it's on pay per view, I don't know. Like it's it's an odd one. Um, why you wouldn't bundle up the James DeGale fight as part of the pay per view and mm. do it as a double header? I don't know, but we just haven't invested into it at all. Um, maybe it's because it's a shit fight and it's Luchin Butte. Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you if you are seeing it as a as a as a crap fight, then I'm I'm sure that it's not. Um, deeply uh, anticipated no. boxing fans. No, I say it, it's completely under the radar. So, a bit of an odd one, really. Um, DeGale should comfortably beat Butte because he's looked a fraction of the man he was prior to the Carl Froch fight. Although it's back in his adopted homeland of Canada, so, you know, he might show something that he hasn't shown before. But 
you know, he's a bit washed up. He's a bit of a has been. Fair play to De Gale for getting this as a championship defence because it's on paper it's a, an easy fight uh, and one that he should probably you know knock him out mid rounds. Okay, you heard it here first from the man that always gets his predictions correct. Yeah, you know, I actually had to look up that that fight was still happening Saturday night. I thought it maybe like under nah, the radar. There's no point. <laughs> Someone just went, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. And the, both, both the fighters went, yeah. Yeah, I see your point. I'm going to get dicked anyway. <laughs> so, no, I, I genuinely had to look up that this fight was still happening Saturday night because I thought, you know, it's just had so little coverage that maybe mm. it, under the radar, been, you know, someone got injured. I suppose you can see again, you can see why it's getting overshadowed, but like you said, it just doesn't make sense. Just do it as a double header. Yeah, just, I don't know. Okay, well, I guess that's everything then. Um, uh, like, once again, I sort of thought I'd. Uh, address the point again that I realise that our po- podcasts are a bit sporadic at the moment um, now there's not a million fans so I'm not snowed under with complaints about email so frankly I'm only just telling people who already don't seem to care anyway but, <laughs> but I just thought I'd say look we're just, uh, we're, we're just we're trying to release one every week we don't really have a set day at the moment uh, both of us are kind of uh, up in the air with our commitment so we're trying yeah, to yeah me with a house you with your sexual needs <laughs> oh god Back to this. Yep, Lothario <laughs> in the building. I just need to own this. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, we're gonna. I can't give you a definite day. So I'm gonna be Let's back. Let's do on Sunday. It's probably gonna be. Let's do Sunday. Okay, we'll try Sunday. Maybe we can do a post Fury Klitsch go on. Yeah, with something. Yeah, and hopefully we'll uh, get a big audience for. Yeah. That's seven or eight people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I guess that's it. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we will see you again soon, wherever, whatever that is. Ta-ra!